The podcast under the stairs. Void diary entry number 24. Hello? I don't, I don't know if this message is getting through. I don't know what happened last week, but I, I think they found a way to hack into the code at the start of the show. Don't listen to their lies. They're, they're trying to undermine my message. If they, if they manage to undermine my message, I lose your faith then then this is all for nothing. Don't listen to their lies. End of message. You're listening to Druid FM on 192 BC. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs, episode number 63. I'm your host, Duncan McLeish, and welcome to the show. Episode 63 continues our countdown of the top 10 performances in the horror category of Christopher Lee versus Vincent Price. We're at number 7. If you've been keeping track of the score, you will know that Vincent Price is currently in the lead. Will he manage to extend the gap? At the end of this episode, only time will tell, my guest on this show is Andy Blockley from Doing the Nasty and Big Horror and Little Podcast. And on this show we will be discussing a little film by some guy called Mario Bava called Whip in the Body. Um, And a certain little movie, you may have heard of it before, called The House of Wax. So uh, looking forward to those conversations coming up real soon on the show. Um, Did you manage to check out the Baz V Horror episode Baz tackled the first three in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. I hope you did because the next episode will be dropping real soon. In fact, probably in just over a week's time, uh, you will get parts four, five and six. So now is the perfect time to gorge yourself on some of the Baz. There's plenty to go around in that uh, review of uh, the first three movies. And like I say, the next uh, three are coming soon and uh, we've recorded some of it already. And there's one sequence I've never laughed as much in my entire life um, as I did recording that sequence with Baz so if that hasn't wet your appetite I don't know what will um, also on that show we will be announcing the first of two competitions so that's something to look forward to as well um, once again thank you so much for the support on the podcast page it's been brilliant in the last week and uh, a couple of new faces as well which is also fantastic that our small small corner of this uh, podcast world is uh, growing each uh, each week there's more people coming across and checking this show out um, also a huge thanks to Legion Podcast Network um, one of our shows landed at number one in the month of July which is absolutely fucking mind blown um, it was uh, the episode that we dedicated the listener choice episode we dedicated to the loved ones and it came out at number one Um, out of all the shows on Legion for for July so once again thank you very much for everyone who downloaded that show and um, afforded us the opportunity to land a rather successful spot over there so uh, long may that continue 
Of course, I think it's all down to the fact that you guys picked an awesome film for us to review. And uh, probably before the end of the year, I'll do another Listener's Choice episode because that was a lot of fun. Uh, and maybe, maybe manage to rope the bars in. Can't guarantee that. He's a busy man, but we'll we'll see if I can rope the bars in as well. Um, so I don't really want to spend too much time at the start of the episode. Obviously, uh, there's been some big announcements uh, in terms of what Baz will be covering in Baz v Halloween this year. He's already started his prep. He's been buying things in. Um, so those shows will be coming real soon. Just a quick reminder at the start, though, that the podcast Under the Stairs will be celebrating its second anniversary as a show and um, we're looking for as much listener participation as possible um, in the form of uh, recordings so if you have access to a bit of recording software or even a dictaphone on your mobile phone and want to record us a small mp3 to send into the show I'm also going to try and arrange one of these fancy voicemail things as well so you can phone in and leave a message um, I want to try and make sure the show is as heavy with your voices so it's not just me rabbiting on again for another two hours um, and we'll also be bringing back the Ask Duncan section for that show so that'll be going up very soon on the, the podcast page for you to ask anything you want and um, the Baz will pose those questions to me so yeah remember you can email them into podcastunderthestairs at gmail.com and the more of them we get the better the more of them the less I don't the less I have to say really which is a bonus for everyone so we're going to take a short break just now you're going to hear promos for shows that I love you're also going to hear the intro to our Christopher Lee versus Vincent Price top 10 segment on the podcast under the stairs I'll be right back after this Matt Ennis Horror Podcast the podcast that will change your life forever that is not what that's not no intense this is going to be filled with spoilers so insightful that you will question your place in the universe. I don't like gore. Mind-blowing. Repetition of the repetition. Is that a word? That is now a word. Inspiring. It's almost like a little advertisement. Life-changing. It's one of two things all the way through. Either predictable or stupid. Black Anna's Horror Podcast. Exclusively available on the Legion Podcast Network. 72 movies that shocked a nation and made an infamous list, the video nasties. Hi, I'm Duncan McLeish and you can join me and my co-host Andy Blockley. Hello, hello. As we chat about the 72 films, reviewing them all from the video nasty list live on our podcast. Tell them about it, Andy. Okay, 1982, 20,000 films were seized in London alone because they were too nasty to be watched. Come and find out why. That's right. The show's called Doing the Nasty Podcast. You can find it exclusively on the Horror Delia Network of Podcasts. Come and check us out. May I have your attention, please? Mr. Harker, I'm glad that you've arrived safely. I am Dracula, and I welcome you to my house. Ready to give the people what they want. Sensation, horror, shock. Then tell us where Mercata is. The fear causes tremendous tensions in the body. 
can't relieve those tensions, why can't they become strong enough to kill you? They will be destroyed. Oh, splendid. This must be my malaria. And now, for our more dreadful sacrifice. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not panic, but scream! Scream for your lives! I intended a peaceful occupation, but you have made that impossible. You suspect uh, the whole play? It's almost time to lock up the house. Then your party will really begin. I wonder how it'll end. I will flog every person in this village. You are about to enter hell. You will warn the crew that if any one of them lets slip what really happened to the Armada, I will personally cut out his tongue. Salt and mercury, effective against the dark forces. They will protect you and Simon. We can save him. The mark of Satan is upon them. I appreciate the fact that you are here to help me. Nevertheless, I would remind you that you are also a guest in my house. Welcome, fool. You have come of your own free will to the appointed place. Okay, no. The pit! The pen! It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Welcome back. So it's time to get our first movie review of episode number 63 off the ground. This uh, is number 7 on my top 10 list for Vincent Price and Christopher Lee in the horror performance category. I have a very special guest joining me, as I do every week, but this one's a wee bit extra special. He's a colleague of mine over on Doing the Nasty, but it's his own podcast that he hosts with his lovely wife Rachel, which is the Big Horror and Little Podcast. It's of course Mr Andy Blockley. How are you doing, sir? Oh, Duncan, you too kind. I'm really good, thanks, mate. Great to be back in the stairs for the third time. Yeah, I know. It's just like get you a permanent seat if you want. Yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the void forever. I wouldn't condemn anyone. How to is the void? the void? How are they treating you? Um, whilst I'm I'm being monitored on this podcast, they're treating me very well. Uh, okay. I, if you know what I mean, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Everything's okay. SOS with the hand signals. Oh. Um, <laughs> Oh my god! So um, you, uh, like I say, are um, the you, you're on two shows. You're on doing the nasty with myself, yeah. and you have the big horror and little podcast. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about those shows and where people can check them out? Okay, well, big horror little podcast is not podcasted for a while, but I tell you what, I've been inspired because um, obviously I messaged you about this. But in Nottingham, in a couple uh-huh. of weeks, there's an open air showing of Big Trouble in Little China. Jammy bastard. On a huge screen. Um, I think I might have to get a Jack Burton vest and wear that. Oh, you need to. That's yeah. a must. You can get it for about a tenner on eBay. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm not sure about the mullet. Um, definitely the vest. And that's probably kind of inspired me to think we need to do the uh, the big Trouble in Little China kind of episode, which is you know, you know, the, the inspiration for the name of the podcast, even though it's not strictly <laughs> horror. <laughs> we do need to get that done, but I've been going wild, right, renovating my bathroom, which is basically taking up all my free time at the weekend. So 
there's not going to be an episode for a, for a short time until this bathroom's done. Um, but there will be one soon, and it's probably going to gonna gonna have to look into this picture in a little China episode because that's going to be great. <laughs> Um, obviously, the other show is the one that I do with you, uh, which is doing the nasty, which is uh, kind of halfway through its run, more or less. Uh-huh. We've got the uh, how many was it? Thirty-three. Yeah, seven, seven, eight. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the, the bang movies is seventy-two, and we've got through the ones that were prosecuted. Uh, now we're into the non-prosecuted list, aren't we? Yeah, um, which is surprising because I thought all the films were going to be like horrendous, and so far they've been pretty good. And obviously we're recording <laughs> later on, and, and yeah. the three films from this week were pretty good as well. So quite a pleasant surprise, really. Because uh, yeah, I was I was about to say as I kind of. Yeah, you just kind of think if it wasn't prosecuted, then it must be shit. But you've got to kind of reverse that mindset. It's the other way around. <laughs> it really is. If it wasn't prosecuted, it meant it was probably actually well made. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, the, like the I have been surprised that you know we're like you say we're about to record our second episode into the non-prosecuted list, and I'm quite taken aback by the fact that we've watched six movies so far in that run, and I haven't disliked any of them. Mm. Which is weird. Yeah. It's, it's a surprise, isn't it? Because you think oh, there's got to be. Usually, we're lucky if there's one kind of decent one. Yeah. Um, but coming up, I mean, we've talked about this obviously on the show. There's some real, really good films coming up. It's mm-hmm. a real shock. And then obviously there's some not so good ones. So obviously we talked about the Bogeyman, didn't we? And there's a, a sequel to that, <laughs> which is apparently just comprised of about 30 minutes of the first film. So we've kind of got to sit through the same film twice. It's gonna be so bad. It's gonna be so bad. Oh yeah, and uh, that 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 podcast exclusive on uh, Horophilia. Mm. Absolutely. Big Horrors exclusive on Legion. Legion, yeah, and our back catalogue is on there if you want to check us out. We did manage to do about seven episodes. (laughs) uh, Yeah, come and come and have a listen, and uh, give us some love on the page, and hopefully we'll get an episode out pretty soon. Um, but great to be back under the stairs anyway, good to be chatting to you again. I'm really looking forward to these films as well. I'd seen one of them because I'd, I'd love House of Wax. Um, I hadn't seen The Whip and the Body, um, but obviously you bought me that for my birthday. And I watched that the other day and it's a pretty cool film. Yes sir, yes sir. Well that in mind we should uh, take our first break. The people out there are going to hear the trailer for the first movie review which is number 7 on my Vincent Price list. It's House of Wax from 1953 and we're going to be right back to talk about that movie right after this. Flesh Like Smoke is the toothsome new shapeshifter anthology from April Moon Books. Curated and edited by Brian M. Sammons with illustrations by Neil Baker, Flesh Like Smoke is a collection of 16 tales of visceral horror from today's most talented authors. Some of these tortured souls lash out against their cursed existence, while others relish the taste of animalistic power. Ranging from gut-wrenching terror to heart-rending pathos, Flesh Like Smoke will leave you salivating for more with every turn of the page. Flesh Like Smoke is available in paperback and ebook format from Amazon.com and AprilMoonBooks.com, as well as other online purveyors of fine literature. Hurry to sink your claws into a copy before the next full moon.
welcome back. So you've heard the trailer for our first movie review. Like I said before the break, this is number 7 on my Vincent Price list. It's House of Wax from 1953. It's directed by Andre de Toth. Um, and the, obviously the movie stars Vincent Price. But it has Frank Lovejoy, Phyllis Kirk, Caroline Jones, Paul Piseni, uh, Roy Roberts, other folks in the movie. The synopsis is listed on IMDb. An associate burns down a wax museum with the owner inside, but he survives only to become a vengeful murderer. Bum, bum, bum. So, <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Um, so yeah, th- this one to me uh, is is an obvious choice. Once again, like a lot of these movies on the list, I'm not really reinventing the wheel. I'm just kind of structuring it into an order, which kind of best suits my preferences. And House of Wax is a movie that I grew up with. Um, my uh, granddad was a huge lover of kind of 50s, 60s, even some of like the kind of maybe 30s universal horror movies. But he was like, a, he was a big fan of the, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s stuff as well. Um, and in particular, he was a big fan of, of Christopher Lee, but he was also a big fan of Vincent Price. And this is a movie which... I know very well from that that time period of you know just kind of watching it on VHS when my, when my granddad managed to get a copy of it in the local video store and watching it pretty much you know like every couple of weekends or something uh, something that I, I truly love and I think Pricey's performance is is kind of classic Price here you know the thing I love about this this character of his is how timid and mild he is at the start of the movie and how through the actions of his associate he is twisted and warped into the exact opposite of what his character is like at the beginning you know at the beginning everything he, he refuses to have things like he won't have any murderers or any you know anything macabre and he's House of Wax, he prides on being a place of history, of education, um, and his attention to detail is, is, is immaculate. And um, as the story goes, his, his associate wants basically out of the business. He doesn't think it's making enough money because it should have all these horrible, nasty things in it. When Vincent Price refuses, uh, they set up a deal where uh, basically a wealthy... Um, Arty sort of man is going to buy out this associate, but the time scale doesn't work. So the associate decides that he can get the insurance money if he burns it down, which Vincent Price kind of protests against his dead body or over his dead body, which uh, the, the associate takes pretty literal and burns the building while he's inside. Yeah. Claims the insurance money, and Vincent Price comes back horribly scarred but with you obviously kind of like Dark Man if you've ever seen the movie Dark Man yeah, with uh, Liam Neeson <laughs> kind of comes back but in a kind of more less technology because there wasn't computers in, in a waxy sort of form uh, he basically he comes back to wreak vengeance kind of Phantom of the Opera-esque um, taking the uh, at first killing the people involved with his murder but later just killing people in general to cook them in wax and put them as uh, attractions in his, his house of wax uh, which is now went to the other side of things so it focuses more exclusively on murderers or evil acts that have happened and obviously we know that he has a passion for uh, at first it's Joan of Arc and Mary, Mary Antoinette uh, and he, he finds that this one particular woman 
has what he describes as being the perfect Mary Antoinette and it, but it kind of builds up to that and a police investigation around it as well to try and uncover it. Like I say, I think Price is brilliant in it. I think he it kind of skirts that very aristocratic sort of tone that he has, you know, that, that, that um, unmistakable voice and mannerism. But when he is the, you know, the, the burned, deformed entity, he's quite sinister and he plays the role very much of a monster which you don't get to see which like I say is the complete juxtaposition of that very well-mannered person that he plays at the start of the movie um, the effects are pretty cool I think uh, I mean you know where things are going the great reveal of his uh, wax mask getting smashed and the, the hideous disfigurement underneath it I think it's handled quite well for 1953 as well Um yeah, I think this movie's a whole hell of a lot of fun. You you were saying, obviously, just there that this is a movie that you had seen before. Is this one that you grew up with? That, uh, I had seen it, but only about a year ago. Really? Yeah, I'm ashamed to say that I saw the Paris Hilton version <laughs> before I saw this version. I don't mind it. For my sins, I actually don't mind that part. I'd like People will remember if they cast their mind back to last year. It made, I think it was number nine on my top horror remakes. Yeah. Because I think that movie is a whole fucking hell of a lot of fun. Uh, but it's totally not like the original. It's nothing like it. I mean, I think we said before, that's more of a remake of Tourist Trap. It really is. It's kind of a combination of the two. It's like a, what would happen if uh, House of Wax had a one night stand with Tourist Trap and then they had a bastard child that would be the remake <laughs> yeah. and Paris Hilton would be in that movie exactly looking, for looking at the camera like a startled badger I was um, a real late comment to be honest to the party when it comes to Vincent Price I only watched Fives like a couple of years ago when my tattooist recommended it to me and went oh, yeah. why haven't you seen that like, what's wrong with you and I went I don't know I'll go home and get it and I watched it and I thought that was incredible, and that was what kind of kicked off me thinking, God, I need to check out some more Vincent Price. Um, so yeah, checked out House of Wax, and absolutely loved that movie as well. I've been meaning to get it on Blu-ray, but it's really expensive. Like, you, yeah. it's uh, kind of gone out of print, and it's really difficult to get it anything under about 30 quid. But no, it's so good, I and mean, it makes me laugh. Um, the guy that obviously wants to do the insurance job, no sooner as he said, I don't think we should burn it down, he's literally got the <laughs> flame in his hand, doesn't he? It's like, have you ever seen the episode of Family Guy where Pete is going to masturbate when Lois goes out and yeah. he's literally pulling his trousers down and getting the laptop out before she's even left the house? She's, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit like that. It's like, before he's even got a chance to breathe. Like, at least give him 24 hours notice to think it over. No, straight in there, burning the place down. Um, and with him inside as well. I mean, obviously he has to fight him because Vincent, you know, Vincent Price's character doesn't want this to happen, so... You know, but drag him outside or something after you've knocked him out. The guy just fucking leaves him in there to burn to death. Or obviously thinks he has. Now, I'm kind of thinking, like, cast my mind back to sort of 1953. Is it supposed to be a shock that Vincent Price is the same kind of hunchback guy? I don't think so. I don't think... I think obvious, I, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of set up that way that we know who the... We know who he is from the start. Yeah. And um, I think that... On, it's a weird movie when you think about it because it kind of it kind of follows that almost kind of to an extent slasher movies like 80s slasher movies do a similar sort of angle of an innocent who is basically something really bad happens to him and then they wreak vengeance but we don't 
want them to wreak vengeance, we're rooting for the people that he wreaks vengeance on. Yeah. Which is a really weird thing. It's kind of like, on, and I think that's why on some level these characters become, like you're, especially in the slasher category, these characters become the ones you eventually end up rooting for. Um, it's because they're the ones that ultimately something, you know, they were the ones that were wrong to begin with. And Price, like, at the start, when he comes back to get the his associate, where you're kind of like on board with that because you're like he has you know he was the one that wronged you took the money all the rest but then as the movie goes on and you realise that he's actually just he's just murdering people just for the sake of his his wax museum which is a great concept I mean that whole thing of you know the guy the guy kind of he stages a hanging doesn't he to make it look like he's killed himself and then he recreates that in his house of horrors, but obviously, unbeknownst to the people that are going to see it, that is the guy that's been hung. He's been stolen from the morgue. Yeah. And they're all saying, "God, it's like they're so real. It, it, I can't believe how realistic they are." And you think, "Well, yeah, it's because they are real." It's a really great concept underneath the kind of wax facade that he's that he's made is the real kind of dead person. Which it's awesome. kind of it's kind of waving it's waving the crime that you've done in the front of everyone's face and getting away with it. Yeah, and almost using it to kind of indulge yourself. I'm going, "Oh God, these sculptures are so brilliant." You know, it's like it massaging his ego. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, yeah, and I'm totally pulling the wool over your eyes as well. I think it's brilliant, and I love the way he's so passionate. Like in both roles, obviously at the beginning, like you say, he's really timid and everything. He's so believable that he, you know, that he talks to these creations. They're almost, you know, they're like his friends, and it doesn't seem odd. It seems like you're totally on board with that. He's this artist that's just really into his, you know, into his work. And then when he flips and kind of, you know, becomes the sort of lunatic version of his character, that's totally believable as well. Yeah. You know, you really feel for this guy, and you know, kind of that he's been wronged, but then you kind of going, you shouldn't be doing this, mate. You just kind of, now you are just going mental. You're just killing people just to indulge yourself. Because obviously he really wants this woman, doesn't he? He's, uh, he's, I think it's his, um, he's already done the Joan of Arc, hasn't he, with her friend. Yeah, that's right, we're friends. And she's convinced, that's what I kind of like about it. It's almost like she's like the, the kind of plays the detective role. She just can't let it go. She knows there's something not quite right about that sculpture even because I think her friend's got her ear pierced and she's saying there's no way you'd know that from the photo that she's got the ear pierced so she's onto him I, I think it's quite funny as well how dismissive it, it, it speaks of the time how dismissive the police are towards her because she's a woman oh yeah totally yeah it's you know it's, it's very kind of this she, she has noticed that no but you're just a woman let, let the men solve this crime yeah and she's the she's the one that's on to it all and I love that idea you know I love movies anyway that have kind of strong female characters anyway but and I mean at the start she kind of she's there just for screaming when he's on the screen because she's got that great scream tone but I love the the idea of her basically you know solving it out before the guys then kind of becoming once again the kind of damsel in distress to be saved right at the last minute the ending of this movie has always kind of perplexed me in that totally it never it, it doesn't quite work but it's passable and that once once Vincent Price's character plunges into the wax and then we get a clip with them back in the police station it's like the end of like an episode of the Naked Gun or something you know what I mean? a good laugh <laughs> yeah it really, it really is all it's waiting for is one of them to jump up in the air and freeze frame while the credits grow it, <laughs> yeah it's just it's really 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 weird they've all been through this trauma with a serial killer who has killed many people including her best friend yeah and they're all just like, well, you know, this, you know, this wax head of yours, you know, I'm just kind of thinking that the, the wax head of his assistant, eh, 
you know, by the time he gets it, we'll have grown a beard. <laughs> and do you know what? He goes to the woman and goes, do you want this look? Like the wax-headed version of you. So yeah. like, no, I don't want it. Can we stop talking about it? <laughs> yeah. Do you want this decapitated wax head, which was made by a psychopathic killer? Um, no. <laughs> Not really. Do you know what's brilliant as well? Talking to the assistant, I can't believe that's Charles Bronson. It's so fucking funny. And do you know what is really unusual as well for for the fifties? I it's it's completely commonplace today, but for nineteen fifty three, he is ripped in that. Oh yeah. Jesus. Oh yeah. Like I thought it was some kind of like uh, amateur bodybuilder or something that they got for the part because he's mute. So I didn't even know it was Charles Bronson. I literally just wanted to find out who this guy was. But I thought I don't know if he's been in anything else. And it blew yeah. my mind when it realised it was Charles Bronson. But yeah, he's totally jacked. He's great. The uh, the, the ripped man servant Igor. Yeah. I tell you what, as well, that guy with the table tennis bat. Yeah. That's incredible. I've never seen that before. That's unreal. The coordination that that guy's got is insane. I'm assuming that at one point this. I'm assuming when this movie was released, it was released in 3D. Yeah, I mean that's obviously purely to showcase the 3D effects, isn't it? But yeah, fucking, I don't know where they found that guy. Did they just go right? We're looking for someone. It's got mad skills. I mean, I don't even know what you'd call that thing. I think I remember having one as a kid. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a ping pong bat and ball. Well, it's attached with like an elastic, isn't it? So, yeah. But at one point, like he's got both going while he's chatting to people, kicking it with his foot. I think you must have like, practiced that for years. And then he's like catching it in his mouth, and he gets the third one out. But yeah. that's more interesting than the wax museum standing up there <laughs> that guy. I think it's back in the day. It's back in the days where people actually had talent. If he went on Britain's Got Talent, he would win with that. Of course, he'd fucking win it. <laughs> so I think that's. I think that's quite fun. But uh, yeah, like I say, what, what this movie has in, in speeds and what's underpinned by is that. Vincent Price is just doing his thing. He's, you know, he's he's having. You can see he's having a lot of fun in this role, especially when he's playing the more sinister version of himself. Um, and I love it. I think I think there's 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 a lot going on which kind of harks back here to the the kind of the Universal monsters kind of style of things. You know, the monster in the background, Phantom of the Opera, sort of thing. But it's just handled in a way which very few actors could do or can do even to this day and it's that kind of charm of Vincent Price which draws you in at the start you know you see him on the screen touching a bit of like clay or something at the beginning of this movie and within within the first couple of sentences you believe that he is a man that works I mean we've, how many horror movies do you see now where like, you see like a teenager who's in, a, who's in his 40s uh, you know something like that or you see people talking about something you'll go I don't believe for one second that your character plays football or your character is a you know one of these like hacker nerds or anything like that Vincent Price is on the screen two minutes and I believe that he is a master of craft with wax Yeah, and it's just 100%. the way yeah, it's just it's just the way he approaches the roles, and it's a kind of form of acting you just don't see anymore, especially in horror movies. And some people would argue it's you know it's a bit cheesy and a bit twee, and it probably is by today's standards. But it, it, this is his movie; he shines yeah, in this movie. Yeah, but by today's standards, today hasn't really got any fucking standards, has it? That's the problem. You know? Yeah, I'd yeah. to see more stuff like this, kind of done, you know, retro. But I don't, I don't know who you get to play that role who would you use you wouldn't there isn't anyone like there aren't Vincent yeah. Price's or Christopher Lee's are there anymore nah nah that, that's that's kind of I mean the, the, the kind of last of the big genre 
heavy hitters is Bruce Campbell, really, and Bruce Campbell's now more on the comedy side than he is on the horror side, but he's like your one of your last big names, which, you know, you can put his name on a movie and you know exactly what you're going to get. Um, it's in the genre that we have just now, but uh, yeah, yeah, so anything else you want to say about House of Wax before we take a break and return with our second movie, The Whip in the Body? Just one more thing, how rubbish uh-huh. is the can-can? <laughs> Just in general, or in this movie? Well, I can't imagine it's any different anywhere else. It's, pretty, <laughs> it's rubbish. When you've got the guy outside with the bat and ball, and then you go like into, and watch the can-can, I'm, I'm sure it's pretty risque for 1953, seeing a little bit of leg and a pair of bloomers. Yeah. I just thought, that is rubbish. Like, they're literally just kicking their leg up and down for ten minutes. That's all I've got to say. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> And with that bombshell, <laughs> the sweeping, sweeping condemnation of the dance known as the Can Can, we're going to move on to our next movie review. You're going to hear the trailer for it. It's The Whip in the Body from 1963. Myself and Andy will be back to discuss that film right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. You know those old-time radio shows with the married couples who bicker about the kids and the car and the neighbors? Our podcast is a lot like that. Yeah. Well, if you replace the kids, the car, and the neighbors with devil movies, theology, and vodka. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. And we are the hosts of Kiss the Goat, a different kind of movie podcast. Every episode, we review a devil movie. You know, possessions, exorcisms, the Antichrist, and we stomp a mud hole in it, even if we like it. We are huge fans of comparative religion, and we love to compare real belief systems with what Hollywood seems to think belief systems are. But don't think we're not civic-minded, because each episode includes our Satan in the News segment, where our fearless correspondent, Sin Fallon, documents the eternal struggle between good and evil. And, as high-functioning alcoholics, we give every movie its own drinking game, so that you can enjoy the movie just like we did, ripped to the tits. (laughs) And there is ever so much more to the show than that, and let me tell you, it ain't for kids. Hell, it ain't for most adults. But it might be for you. You won't know until you listen to Kiss the Goat exclusively on the Legion Network of Podcasts. That's Kiss the Goat. We're the lighter side. Of the dark side. <laughs> Ho giurato che prima di morire vedrò questa lama piantata nella gola di quell'uomo.
stato, aveva gli stivali infangati, sembrava come se fosse uscito dalla tomba. Welcome back. So it's time to discuss our second and final movie review of this episode. This, oh yes, this is a uh, this is so many levels of awesome for me right now. Uh, this is the Whip in the Body from 1963. It was directed by the maestro Mario Bava um, and has a uh, Pretty spectacular cast, actually. Uh, we have Dahlia Lavi, Christopher Lee, Tony Kendall, Idia Galli, uh, Harriet Maiden, um, Gustave DiNardo, uh, Jacques Herlin, and uh, some other folks. The synopsis for this movie. In the 19th century, a sadistic nobleman terrorises members of his family. He is found dead, but his ghost soon returns to haunt the residents of the castle um so this is a movie i saw this one's not in my memory as classic as the old house of wax in terms of when i saw it i saw it a couple of years ago and it, it kind of was brought to my attention when i was working through I, I, very much like you were saying about your vincent price kick i had a kick for i still do to an extent for italian directors and um when you're charting back that you the 
you know, where Italian horror really comes from. The, the primary source, the name in Italian horror that really revolutionises things and kicks things off is Mario Bava. Um, and Bava had a tendency to do kind of gothic style hammer horror movies um, up until the point where he released... Um, he did uh, uh, Black Sabbath. When he did Black Sabbath, he'd started experimenting with what we now know as Jallo. Uh, so when he went on to do Blood and Black Lace, this whole new genre appears of Jallo movies, which he kind of throws himself into. Um, and like we know on our other show, Andy, he kind of turns his back on that and kind of sets up the template for what would be slasher movies before... <laughs> Yeah, it does, right? Uh, before he re- he kind of retired due to more ill health and old age, um, working with some great directors like uh, like Argento. The last bit of work he did actually was on an Argento movie that we're going to be talking about on uh, on doing the nasty, which is Inferno. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it kind of look- for that show, and I, you, 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 apparently I'll hate it. But you're you're gonna hate that movie. You're gonna hate that movie so bad, and I'm gonna defend it as best as possible. But I know every now and again, Andy, that I have to just resign myself to the fact that no matter how solid my logic is, um, when you're wrong, I can't convince you otherwise. You, uh, surprised, <laughs> you never know. I might shock you. If you like that movie, there's no reason why you don't like Suspiria. That's all I'm saying, right? No reason. Uh, so yeah, so like back, that, there was a massive aside to tell you how I know of this movie, but um, sorry, I was uh, that's cool. <laughs> uh, I was doing a bit of like a bit of checking out some of his older stuff and the whip in the body was on the list it was listed on um it was on the internet at the time back in the early days of imdb and uh well earlier days like we're talking maybe about three four years ago um and through that you know through checking that out i managed to track it down through less than legal means and watched the movie and fell in love with it i think um like i say this is on the edge of him moving away from doing that kind of gothic horror stuff, that kind of hammer-esque horror stuff. And uh, I think he nails it. I mean, the fact that he brings Christopher Lee into a performance here shows how much he enjoyed doing his version of those movies, the, the, the kind of hammer stuff. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a, this movie, before we start talking about Lee's performance, this movie is very much quintessential Bava. I mean, the lighting is phenomenal and incredibly spooky and eerie. Um, it has, the sets feel old, like really, really, it does feel like a castle, you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't feel like cardboard sets that have been painted or anything. It uses a lot of tricks. He was a, a master of apparently making things work for a shoestring budget uh, using visual trickery, camera tricks, lighting uh, crystals. He did a lot of his effects by bending light through crystals um, and I, I mean he, he's pulling out all the tricks from all the, you know, from all sides here in this movie. Fundamentally it's your basic haunted house story. It's, you know someone comes back uh, like the prodigal son returns uh, he's rejected by his father, dies under suspicious circumstances, then creepy things start going. But what I love about this movie is it's left to the imagination of the audience whether or not he is actually a ghost. Because we're seeing it through the eyes of his love in the movie, uh, who is like the daughter of the the kind of like the kind of the housekeeper or something. Uh, basically, she is convinced that he's still alive, and through her eyes, we see him. Uh, appear back and back again um, 
and it's only at the very end we see it from everyone else's perspective and when we see it from everyone else's perspective he's not there because he is dead and we see the the very end shot as is a, a terrific shot of um, his coffin and his crypt burning down and the whip inside the coffin he was buried with his whip um, if we jump back out and talk about Christopher Lee though uh, I think Lee is fucking brilliant in this movie I think he is evil and menacing as fuck from the moment he walks in at the castle you know this guy is a bit of a dick um, and basically he's come back to you know, he knows that his brother's getting married and the inheritance money from his rather rich father is probably going to pass down to his younger brother. So he returns to kind of throw a spanner in the works before the wedding um, and instantly is rejected by his father. But I just love the fact that he just keeps kind of pushing things with his dad, just keeps getting kind of in his face, looking in his room where his dad's trying to sleep. You know, just like creepy as fuck things yeah. to do. That's right, dad, I'm here. It's like, here's Curdy. Um, and uh, But the reason it has its name, The Whip in the Body, is because he carries a whip. Um, and his former lover, who is a very kind of prim and proper young lady, uh, believe it or not, likes a bit of a spank, likes a bit, of, yeah, likes a bit of rough and tumble, and likes a bit of the whip. Andy, dirty, loves a bit of the whip. Dirty Madden, um, <laughs> dirty, dirty, and um, even when he returns back as a ghost, uh, you know she uh, is at first screaming, it tears the dress off her back, and then starts laying into her with a whip. And at first she's kind of. Oh, oh, and then she starts oh. biting. She starts biting down her thumb, and then she's like, "Yeah," and you're like, "You dirty, dirty bitch." Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but like I say, under underneath all, what I like about this is the fact that it kind of plays with this idea of what's real, what's not real. It, it plays with the fact of love and how love goes beyond the grave. So much so that the woman even goes as far as killing herself at the end to be with her lover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just really well handled. It's a very well crafted movie. It's c- crafted with careful timed hands and, and, and Bava's hands. But it's a story, I mean, on paper, it's not an unremarkable story. What's remarkable about it is what the cast do with it and the context. Like I say, how Christopher Lee just plays that. Just his stature, his, his, like, his body language, the very few lines he says in this movie all have that Christopher Lee weight behind them, even though it's overdubbed in this movie. Um, I just think it's, I think it's a fucking blast, man, I really do. And you watched it for the first time this week. Um, tell us what you thought of it. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant, yeah. I think Lee is great from the start. He's, like, intimidating, sarcastic. Not sure why he's entering people's bedrooms via the fireplace. Like, does he think he's Santa Claus or <laughs> I'm Santa Kurt. But yeah, really, like, he's taking liberties within five minutes of being back. He's like seducing his brother's wife using a horse whip, like you say, what a fucking legend. You know, this guy is just such an imposing figure, and you find out that he kind of what he he sort of caused his ex missus to kill herself, didn't he? Yeah. Um, but with what they think, because after they left, she killed herself. Yeah. And um, basically, the, the 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 people in the house blame it on him, whether or not that's true or not whether or not she just wasn't but we don't know but that's certainly the stigma that has carried him as the black sheep of the family when he left like why are they keeping the bloody knife in like a glass trophy cabinet that's what it's <laughs> to be isn't it 
It's a bit morbid. It's a bit odd, yeah. Um, and also, like the housekeeper, she must have been a big fan of Psycho. She's dressed like Norman Bates when he's when he's in his mum getup. <laughs> same hairdo, same dress, and the daughter is as well. The daughter's going to ask a good look. I'm going to go for that as well. It wouldn't surprise me because Bava heavily influenced by. Um, you know, Hammer Horror and stuff like that in terms of the style. But one of his favourite filmmakers of all time was Hitchcock, uh, which explains uh, well it explains how he started crafting the Jallo yeah. genre out because Jallo itself is very Hitchcockian. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if that was him putting a nod to something like Psycho in his movie. Yeah, totally, because it is just fucking that's just normal baits. I mean, this is a pretty brave film, I think. It's, you know, quite early in the century to be showing a woman being sexually aroused by pain, isn't it? Really unusual, I yeah. think. I can't think of a film kind of earlier. There probably is some, but... I think, I, think, what, what, I think maybe they got away with it a bit more in Italy, which is ironic where you see how, once again, thinking about the nasties here, Andy... Um, it's ironic when you see how puritanical they got towards the late 70s when they started tracking down things, especially like Cannibal Ferox, Cannibal Holocaust, how, how vehemently they went after directors for doing things which were were seen as taboo. But in this movie, like you see, you have a woman being whipped hard mm. and getting off in it. Oh, yeah, she's loving it. Um, I, mean, I feel a little bit bad for Olga Benka. Like she obviously starts seeing the ghost. She then finds out that her kind of a uh, husband to be is interested in somebody else. And you're like, oh, fucking hell, poor woman. So it, it does turn out to be look, sort of starts off in like a love triangle, but then turns into like a proper. It's weird to say a love story because I mean it is kind of romantic in a sort of Fifty Shades of Grey kind of way, isn't it? Yeah, but I think I think you are right there. I think under what, what underpins, I think ultimately that what, that's what sets up the end is there is this. It's a it's a love that goes beyond the grave, um, and that once once again, like you're saying, is a very bold move to do in a movie like this. But I think I think it's what makes it different from your kind of run of the mill haunted house movie from this era. I mean, if you consider what they were doing by this point, movies like. The House of Usher and Mask of the Red Death have already come out with Vincent Price in them, where Price is doing the, well, the Poe adaptations, but he's very much, he's constantly pining after a woman that's died or, you know, like everything is dark and the world around them is crashing down and all the rest. And what you get in this movie is a similar kind of template, but the the mood is different. There's a, there's a more kind of, a more kind of honest, I think, on some level, reaction from certain characters I mean uh, she like she's hurting so much when he dies at first she doesn't think she's hurting about it yeah but she's obviously on some level hurting so bad that she's imagining him coming back mm, she keeps protesting that she hates him like you know it reminded me of in like the Sons of Anarchy when uh, Gemma's telling uh, Nero that she hated Clay and she's yeah. screaming I fucking hated him I hated him even you didn't you totally were in love with him and She's just the same as that. Yeah. In this, you know, she's like trying to make out. She's cool. Oh, I'm fucking glad he's there. I hate him. You know, you didn't. You're like totally devastated to the point, like you say, is where she, you know, kills herself just to be with him. Yeah. That's because the ghost tells her to. But you know, like you say, is it a ghost or is that just her kind of deep sort of uh, you know sadness? Yeah. Manifesting in you know the vision of this guy that she can't let go. Because I wasn't sure who kills him. Like, was that the ghost of his previous lover? 
See, I don't think it is. I, see, I was confused at first. Like, I've always been confused about that aspect of the movie. I have always assumed it's his dad that kills him. Yeah. And the reason I assume it's his dad is his dad, just before, disappears into one of the kind of escape passages or hidden passages in the behind the fireplace just before his son dies. So I've, I've always assumed that his dad killed him. Um, they assumed in the house that because it was with the same knife, it was the dead daughter's spirit had come back, which I think sets up her opinion that people can come back. I think it sets in her mind that there's this idea of people can come back beyond the grave to do something, um, which explains why she then starts manifesting Kurt afterwards. That's that's my take on it. I don't think it's very well explained. I don't think they... I mean, it's certainly wink-wink, nudge-nudge in the movie, if you know what I mean. Um they're very good at doing that. Like they, I think one of them even says at one point, you know, you weren't in your, you weren't in your bed when it was happening to the father, because uh, he checked in or something. So I think. But I think the good night explainer. We don't need to be spoon fed all the time. Exactly. Like, exactly. It's like we never really get to the full root of why he's such a bastard and why the family hate him so much. But you know, it doesn't matter. You can just tell the atmosphere between them, the tension between them when he's in the room. Obviously, we get a few little kind of tidbits of what he's done and why they hate him so much. But when there's not like a big full backstory where they're sitting, there's loads of exposition. You don't need that. It's just obvious that from the second he walks in, just by the look on their faces, yeah, that there's a problem with this guy. You know, and that's what's like great about it. You don't need to be spoon-fed some of this stuff. And I think it's great just to keep you thinking because we wouldn't be talking about that if you if you knew who killed him. There's nothing to talk about. Is there? You know, it's a good conversation piece to kind of go. Oh, was it the ghost or was it the dad or? You know, yeah, it totally works. I mean, the gothic feel of it is amazing. Um, obviously, the transfer on Blu-ray it, it complements it really well because it's quite soft in the focus, isn't it? But it wouldn't have yeah. worked if this was fully high def. It would totally ruin the feel of the whole film. The fact that it's all kind of smoky and dark is just perfect. Um, and like I say, it's really kind of got that hammer horror feel to it. And uh, yeah, it's it's great. I can't believe it. it's one of the ones you think, how oh, have I not seen this before? <laughs> There's so many, Andy. There's so, so many movies out there that, like from, from different countries that... I think that's the beauty of uh, companies like, I mean, the, in the case of this one, it's Odeon that put out this one. Um, and Odeon are doing quite a lot of the kind of old, uh, um, uh, kind of old Italian cinema with uh, Christopher Lee movies. They're, it's great they're what actually... they do. I love how they clean up the transfers, but they keep them looking old. Uh, yeah, a really good example of that is Jaws. You know, the Jaws yeah. Blu-ray that came out. Uh-huh. It's pristine, there's not a hair or a scratch or a mark on that picture. It's a perfect picture, but it's still totally a 1975 movie. Like, yeah. it, like it doesn't ruin it with, like, you know, do something like in Predator, how everything's, like, completely digitalised. And it, yeah, they colour correct everything within yeah. an inch of its life. And I think that's great that they're bringing out these old movies on Blu ray, where it's obviously a massive step up from the VHS and stuff, but it's nowhere near kind of today's quality. But today's quality is too synthetic. Yeah. It's too fake and it's too plasticky and, and it just looks weird and this is just, it's just perfect. So, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm more amazed when I see a, an old film on Blu-ray than a new one because yeah. anything that comes out on Blu-ray basically in the last five years is going to be pristine, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, because it's, it's still when, digitally short and all yeah, the rest. But when they release something like, I don't know, North by Northwest or Psycho or something like that on Blu-ray, that's when you go, fucking hell, that's, this is brilliant. Yeah. yeah, that that cycle Blu-ray actually is one of the best 
transfers of a black and white movie I've ever seen in my entire life. You would you would be hard pressed to think that that wasn't shot like this year in black and white. It's incredible. It's actually incredible, and it's I I love the idea that you know companies will take the time to. It's something we talk about a lot in our other show actually is that companies would take the time to take a movie like this and give it the care and love that it needs to give it an opportunity to have uh, a new kind of lease of life to a brand new audience and like I say they've got they're doing some stuff some amicus releases I've got um, I've actually got a pre-order in for Doctor Terror's House of Horrors which is a movie I've already discussed uh, earlier on in the show but um, Graham Humphreys the, the horror artist he's designed the artwork for it it's coming in a fancy limited edition steelbook and it's not you know it's not coming at a price that breaks the bank it's coming out at, I think it's like 17 quid or something and it's limited to two I mean these sort of things they're not it's not a cash grab um, they're actually putting the love into it and you know where you stand with them and you get an opportunity to sit down and watch a movie like this in your, in your case you know had never seen before you sit down and you go this is a fucking brilliant movie and then you know you have that to keep now which is I think it's a really really cool thing is there anything else you want to say about the whip in the body before we take a short break and come back <laughs> well, and decide did, who has the best role well it just made me laugh Rach my wife like said uh, oh you go and watch that on your own because you need to watch it for the show and I said oh are you sure she went yeah you just go and watch it and then when I told her what it was about she went ah oh. <laughs> <laughs> I really good to that she'd missed that when I told her it was about bondage and kinky shit she was like ah oh, oh, oh yeah and you're out <laughs> But like, yeah, you don't expect it like to be like that from a film that's so old. You know, it's, uh, yeah. it's pretty risque. You know, it's great. Yeah, and yeah, I loved it, mate. And thanks again for buying it me for my birthday. It was awesome. Ah, it's, it's not not a problem at all. Not a problem at all. Uh, right, so we're gonna take a short break. And when we come back, it's decision time. This is where the the, the, the serious faces come on. It's been all it's been all giggles and stuff like that. Uh, but now we have to be serious, Andy, and we have to decide yeah, who is. <laughs> who's the better performer in these two movies and we will do that right after this break movies need only three things badasses you tell me who you want done and I'll do the hell out of it a chick with drive who don't take no jive boobs do you know that the female breast known to be the source of life since Eve can be deadly weapons and body counts Body Count The Mathematics of Murder and Menace The BBNBC Podcast discusses lesser-known action, exploitation, and horror cult cinema. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, and SoundCloud by searching for BBNBC Podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly on the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com Got the goddamn message? Let's go to work. And welcome back. So... Andy, we have a uh, we have deliberated, we have consumed, and uh, we have discussed House of Wax from nineteen fifty three and the Whip in the Body from nineteen sixty three. Um, what is left for us to do is to see who is the better performer in these movies, and I don't know if this will be a surprise to people out there listening or to yourself. Uh, I'm going to come back with Vincent Price. 
Now, the reason I'm going to come back with Instant Price is similar to what a lot of what I've been giving the winning roles to is the, the arc of the character. In the case of House of Wax, the character arc is so dramatic from timid to to malicious and evil at the end that I I find it just an absolute joy to watch. And yeah, you could cast an argument that Vincent Price is kind of coasting through that movie, kind of resting on his laurels, playing a very Vincent Price role, but that's not necessarily fair because the reason it's a very Vincent Price role is because he embodies that and that's why you can say that now and I think what he brings to the role is is something which could easily if either either aspect to that character isn't played to its fullest um, then you know it, it kind of falls apart and I think he handles it very well on both sides and he is my uh, he is my performer of uh, these two movies. Andy, are you going to come in with me or are you going to be controversial and call this one a draw? Well, I watched The Whip and the Body and I thought, God, he's fucking great in this, Christopher Lee. Um, obviously, he's not in it loads because he kind of dies, spoiler alert, sorry, 20 minutes in. Um, but he then is in it for a ghost. Yeah, as a ghost, but he doesn't really speak much. But his presence is absolutely incredible in this film. You know, typical Christopher Lee, but he's, you know, he's, he's a big guy, isn't he? And he really fills the screen and he fills the movie with his kind of sinister presence, especially in this, like I was saying earlier. Just as he walks in the room, you can feel the tension change between him and the characters. And he's just kind of acting with his eyes almost, you know, just that sort of stony look on his face and, you know, a glimmer of kind of e- evilness with it sort of bubbling under there. And I thought, oh God, like, this is, he's probably going to take it for me. But then, like, I watched House of Wax, like, and then he, like, a few hours later, and I thought, ah, oh, shit, like, Vincent Price <laughs> is fucking great. <laughs> and I think because I've still not seen that many Vincent Price movies, because, like I say, I'm fairly new to the party with it all, for me, I'm not watching a typical Vincent Price performance, because I've not been kind of tainted by that while watching loads of his different films. So for me, like, I, I I think I'm lucky enough that I can kind of look at it as a standalone film. Um, and just everything about his performance, like he's totally believable as this really kind of passionate, eccentric guy, you know, that makes these waxwork creations that he speaks to and it's almost like there is family and stuff. And then you can, you know, he's totally wronged by this guy who kind of gives him no choice as to burn the place down. And, you know, imagine that, these things like your life's work just going up and smoke in front of your face. It's going to kind of ruin you a little bit, isn't it? And then he comes back, you know, sort of this vengeance-seeking sort of lunatic, but half and half because he's still playing a really charming guy, isn't he, when he's opening his house of horrors to the public. You know, there's this facade of this kind of little crippled old man that can't walk anymore and can't use his hands anymore, when the reality is he's this kind of, kind of marauding psychopath that's just sort of killing people to indulge, you know, his like fantasy of this, um, you know, this house of horrors that he wants to create. And like you say, it's such a good character arc. You totally believe every aspect of sort of the transformation of you know of the journey that he goes on. And I just think it's so watchable when you when Vincent Price is on screen. You like you can't take your eyes off him. He's the sort of guy. If I had that like fantasy dinner party where you can invite sort of anyone alive or dead, he'd be yeah. sad after invite to my dinner party because I just think he'd be great. And yeah, he's he's got to take it for me completely. It's Vincent Price. I agree with you. I think his performance in it is just awesome. I could stick that film on again, you know, tonight and watch it again. I just think it's great. So, yeah, Vincent Price all the way. 
Ooh, there we go. So Vincent Price chalks up another win, um, making it making it a, a, a quite. Uh, it's now it's now starting to look like Vincent Price is starting to pull it's away. Like a bit of a landslide, is it at the minute? Yeah, yes. The current score is now Vincent Price six, Christopher Lee two. So, because um, you get two points for a win. So, uh, yeah. Let's see if next week. Uh, Christopher Lee can claw back some some well needed points and uh, and uh, make this the the tight horse race that we want towards the end. Um, Andy, once again, thank you very much for joining me and oh, the podcast you, over the stairs. Um, like we said at the start, there you have two shows. If you just like to remind people where they can check them out, yeah, Big Horror and Little Podcast is uh, the uh, back catalogue is on the Legion feed, or you can go to Big Horror and Little Podcast.wordpress.com and come and check out our back catalogue of uh, stuff that we've done and also there's the Doing the Nasty um, which is on Horophilia which is mine and Duncan's show uh, yeah come and check that out it's great even if you're not particularly into the video nasties there are some really funny chats on there and you probably might end up discovering you know some little hidden gems of movies that you probably never thought to watch and uh, yeah they are worth watching out with some of them so yeah come and check that out as well brilliant brilliant I'm going to take a very short break just now but when I return I'm closing out the show right after this. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. They try to kill us. You ungodly warlock. <laughs> but we just won't stay dead. What's the matter? You can't hold your liquor, huh? The Midnight Horror Show, the internet's goriest and raunchiest horror podcast since 2008. Now live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at tmhsradio.com. Listen on your mobile device with the TuneIn app, search TMHS Radio, or download us at iTunes, Podomatic, or the TMHS Radio page. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs, episode number 63. We were discussing the whip and the body and also the House of Wax. And Vincent Price has now got a commanding lead. This is uh, this is starting to look like a one-sided battle. There are some powerhouses still to come up on the list. So hopefully this is a closer closer race than, than the landslide that seems to be happening. Um, next week... I will be joined by the fantabulous Jamie Jenkins as we discuss To the Devil a Daughter for Christopher Lee and a Fly for Vincent Price. So uh, you never know, you never know, maybe Christopher Lee comes back with a couple of interesting combos and uh, maybe closes that gap just a little, fingers crossed. Um, so yeah, thank you very much to my guest Andy Blockley. Remember and check out the back catalogue of shows. Uh, for him on doing the nasty over on Horophilia and remember and check out the Big Horror and Little Podcast um, both shows have Facebook pages so you should go and check them out um, and like I said at the start of the show really looking for some listener participation um, whether you're a fellow podcaster who has been a guest on this show just a fellow podcaster or someone that has access to any recording software or a dictaphone on your phone if you could record us a small mp3 message wishing us all the best 
for our second year anniversary and email that to podcast under the stairs at gmail.com I would be forever in your debt I want as many of them as possible for that show I'm still planning the finer details of what's actually going to feature on that show but um, yeah that would be pretty cool so just putting that out there guys don't let me down please don't let me down um, also uh, just a quick reminder that there will be an upcoming Baz v Horror where Baz will be tackling parts 4, 5 and 6 of a Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and that will be dropping in just over a week and a half so keep your eyes peeled for that one that one's going to be a whole hell of a lot of fun and remember there's a multitude of ways that you can listen out to this show you can listen to us on Stitcher Smart Radio on iTunes if you listen to us on iTunes we would appreciate it if you take two minutes to leave us some feedback over there if it was five stars for example the more of them we get the higher up the ratings we get pushed the more likely it is that we will get new listeners um, also you can check us out at our webpage which is podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and uh, on Legion Podcast Network which this show is a proud member of you can visit our webpage um, like I said earlier on and leave us some feedback you can also visit our Facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast. we are on Twitter at teapotscast and um, if you want to leave us any feedback at all kind messages or even uh, pose a question to the Baz you can do that at our email address which is podcastunderthestairs at gmail.com um, so plenty of ways to check out the show please 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 um, take care of yourselves until the next time I speak to you which will be sooner than you think this is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from the void Signing off.